Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Our scripture for this morning comes from the book of Deuteronomy, which little did you all know is my favorite book of the Bible, so I am much looking forward to this sermon today. Take care that you do not forget the Lord your God. By failing to keep his commandments, his ordinances, and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. When you have eaten your fill and have built fire houses and fine houses, not fire houses, that'd be interesting. Fine houses and live in them. And when your herds and flocks have multiplied and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then do not exalt yourself forgetting the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, an arid wasteland with poisonous snakes and scorpions. He made water flow for you from Flint Rock and fed you in the wilderness with manna that your ancestors did not know, to humble you and to test you. And in the end, to do you good. Do not say to yourself, my power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. But remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth. So that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your ancestors as he is doing today. If you do forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord is destroying before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. This is the word of God for the people of God, let us say. Thanks be to God. Scripture was going down a really promising history of Israel, and it kind of took a sharp turn of judgment, didn't it? At the very end there of, you shall surely perish. So it's nice to leave you with that happy note as we go into this very fire and brimstone sermon that I would love you all to hear. Um, It's a lot of history that, um, it's a lot of history covered in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and it's not the only time that that entire Exodus moment is recapped in a synopsis in the Old Testament. In fact, it's brought up in Psalm 78. It's just detail by detail of what we should give thanks to the Lord for and how we should remember this story. Psalm 79 includes part of it. There are just uh, parts of Jeremiah and parts of Isaiah, and most of the prophets reference on some level the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. There is a call to remember, to never forget the history that the Israelites have 
with God. And I want to read a little bit farther after chapter 8 ends into Deuteronomy chapter 9 to give a little bit of historical context for the history that they are remembering and they are telling to the Israelites. Deuteronomy 9 starts off with this. It says, Hear, O Israel, you are about to cross the Jordan today. People say Leviticus is the law for the wilderness. Deuteronomy is the law for the land. And so you're about to cross the Jordan today to go in and dispossess nations larger and mightier than you. Great cities fortified to the heavens, a strong and tall people, the offspring of the Anakim, whom you know, who you have heard it said of them, who can stand up to the Anakim? And I'll stop there, but I just want you to get the setting that they're staring. They're at the the bank of the Jordan River looking across into the promised land. And I want you to remember that this is not the first time they've been in this situation. A few weeks ago, we had Numbers chapter 13. Oh, there we go. A few weeks ago, we had Numbers chapter 13, which was the first time that the Israelites were on the bank of the Jordan and they sent spies into the promised land, essentially. And, and if you remember, it was Joshua and Caleb who had faith and said, the Lord has been with us. The Lord will deliver this land to us. We ought not to be afraid. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we are. And this results in, instead of a smooth passage to the promised land that God has delivered them to and has promised for them in the wisdom of God and the way of God, the doubting of God's way leads them to wander for another 40 years. And if you've ever seen a map of the estimated route that the Israelites take, it's kind of this straight line that hits the bank of the Jordan and then takes this little curly cue of 40 years before they end up in the exact same place. Because in Numbers 13, Well, they weren't very good students of history. In Numbers 13, they had forgotten this whole history that they had with God, which uh, Genesis 12, God frees uh, Abram and Sarai from um, Sarai being, uh, if you remember the story of Abram giving Sarai uh, to Pharaoh as his sister, pretending because he was afraid of what Pharaoh was going to do, and God delivered them from that situation so that they could go and inherit the land that God had shown them. The next chapter, Genesis 13 and 14, um, Abram and his small little army um, is, defeats the king of Sodom and is granted this land and respect amongst the kings around the area. Genesis 41 shows Joseph uh, rising from meager Israelites, second to last born of Jacob's tribe, uh, to become uh, the second in control of mighty, powerful Egypt. And we see ultimately in Exodus 12, God frees the, Egypt, uh, frees the Israelites from the mighty power of Egypt. When they're standing on the bank of the Jordan in Numbers 13, they've not been very good students of history about how God delivers even the smallest amongst us from the most powerful, even the weakest amongst us from the unwinnable situation. They have not studied their history to know how faithful God is even when you're staring at an impossible situation, an unwinnable moment, even when you're staring down the uncertain and the unknown, they haven't been very good students of history. Now, if you hear about all these scriptural contexts, if you ever heard the uh, scripture from Romans, um, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? This is what the Israelites were supposed to have learned through the Exodus. And 
there's a quote by George Santana, Santana that talks about those who do not remember their history are doomed to repeat it. Deuteronomy 6 talks about, Deuteronomy 6 tells the Israelites, tell the story to your children. Tell it to them when they go to bed. Tell it to them when they rise up. Tell them to them when you're walking to school. Tell them to them when you pick them up from school. Tell your story to the children so that they learn the right version of history so that they don't repeat the same mistakes of Numbers 13. And we have this question for ourselves. We can ask this question of Israel as well is, what is the story? What is the history that we want to claim so that the future can be better. Imagine if the Israelites hadn't had to wander for 40 more years and got the privilege of the promised land even sooner. Imagine throughout the Israelite history, as we'll examine, if they'd simply remembered that the Lord is good. What history do they want to tell? What history do they want to claim so that the future looks brighter? Now, Students are going to history class every day now, whether it be in high school, middle school, they're learning Texas history, U.S. history, world history, all the history of everything. But if you remember your history class, um, they're going to hear a version of the story. And there's some reasons for that. Uh, For those of you who are teachers in here, I have no idea how you do what you do in only 180 days of instructional hours um, because there's so much content. So for one, teachers can't teach every nuance about every story because there's just not time. And then you get a history textbook and it would truly be the encyclopedia if you wanted to present all the aspects of all the nuances of all the stories throughout history. But then the other part of what our students will learn in history class is the principle that history is written by those who won. Let me give you an example. My daughter, not my daughter, my wife, um, my daughter's from Texas and I'm proud of that fact. Um, my wife is from Oklahoma, on the other hand, and uh, I know I like to rag on Oklahoma a little bit, but in Oklahoma, she likes, I, I like to give her grief because the main state university, no offense to you Oklahoma state people, but the main state university of Oklahoma, the University of Oklahoma, what's their fight song? Boomer Sooner, Boomer Sooner. I like to give her grief that the University of Oklahoma chose as its fight song to honor the legacy that a boomer, a boomer was somebody as the U.S. government was expanding westward and looking into uh, native territories, that the boomer was the people who were supporting their initiative to say, you know what, we should take these land, we should just rip it out from under them. That was a boomer. They were drumming up support. A sooner, so if we've got, you know, an occupationist for the boomer, the sooner was the thief. Right? The sooner was the one who, who jumped the gun, or maybe the, the boomer was the thief and the sooner was the cheater. So we've got the, the sooner were people who jumped the land run in you know, the late 1800s. They jumped the gun, they went and they staked their plot of land before they were ever allowed to. So Oklahoma has decided to instill in its history a thief and a cheater. Right? So every time they score a touchdown, boomer sooner, boomer sooner. Right? They are... Basically choosing to tell this version of the victorious part of the story. And, and my wife would talk about that every land run day, this is a holiday in Oklahoma schools, is land run day. 
And they would make their wagons out of little, you know, red flyer, uh, radio flyer wagons. They would decorate them up. They would ride down the streets in the, or the school hallways. And they were having so much fun because when you win and your version of history is that, it is a lot of fun. And I have no idea how they teach this story to the Kickapoo or the Choctaw or the Cherokee. But I'm guessing it's not near as much fun. It's the version of history that they have chosen to promulgate. But the beauty of history, the beauty of history is that it is one half, I would say authentic history, is that it is one half celebration and the other half critique. We usually choose the celebration aspect of it. And let me give you a good example of how both of them work together. When Christopher Columbus is studied, right, there's a whole kind of cancel movement of Columbus Day because, well, we'll get to that in a little bit. But the celebratory part of Christopher Columbus, we teach that story because there are values of entrepreneurship and ambition and exploration and adventure. And these are the principles that have... Uh, that have led to how our economy works and the innovation and imagination for things like vaccines to come about and, and innovation in terms of computers and, and great uh, other explorations into other uh, avenues. And so the study of Christopher Columbus has this celebration to it, but when we used to stop at that, and we didn't tell the whole history of the other side when Columbus showed up on the shores and was greeted by friendly peoples and then slaughtered and enslaved them, That's, that's a story we need to hear as well so that we truly know the whole story. See, a whole authentic history allows us to celebrate what was good, what led us to the bank of the Jordan River in the first place. But we also need to bring the critique of history in to tell us how we can do it better on the other side. How our world can look more in line with what God had envisioned. And Deuteronomy is this laid out pathway this law of the land of what God wants this Israelite kingdom to look like. And it, on, some, on some level, it looks a lot like the Philistines. It looks a lot like the Amakites. It looks a lot like the other Canaanite tribes in the region. But we get a little bit of a taste of what is different when we look at the first chapter of Deuteronomy, when, there, when Moses is establishing kind of this hierarchical government of sorts that he needs help to run things. And we get this little glimpse of what's different. In verse 17, it says, You must not be partial in judging. Hear out the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. Any case that is too hard for you, bring it to me, and I will hear it. This is very different from the normal hierarchical system, where uh, some people have on top and have all the power, and some people have absolutely none. In the court of public opinion, or the court of law in God's kingdom— all people are supposed to be valued as incredibly equal. The king is supposed to be only as valuable as the lowest peasant. The peasant is uplifted to the status in God's eyes of the king or the, the leader like Moses is. This is where, where, we should, where they need to learn their history because as they continue on, we find that they don't exactly remember their history very well. They've entered the land. They've got their wealth. All the things Deuteronomy 8 is warning them about. We get to stories like Jeremiah where they start to uh, give their allegiances to other gods and idols and they push God to simply a mere sideshow um, of what uh, God is supposed to be. We can go 
into Hosea, and we find that the richer they got, the more they boasted in themselves instead of God's saving grace. And you know, other people start to become a means to an end as opposed to valuable members of God's family. If we go forward into Amos, we've got the more distant they became from the poor, the more or the less they cared. And finally, if we get into Micah, we've got the more power they got, the less that they really wanted to share anything. When we talk about what went wrong in Israel once they crossed the Jordan, right, we can look at Deuteronomy 8, and Deuteronomy 8 says, remember your history. Remember who freed you from Egypt. Remember who freed you from Egypt three different times. Remember who helped you defeat the king of Sodom. Remember who it is that you are grounded in, and remember the way that I want you to live. When we talk about Israel perishing, we often think of this vindictive uh, God with a vendetta who's jealous and gets jealous really, really quickly because they're worshiping other gods. But we have to remember what it says in Leviticus 19, 18, which Jesus will repeat. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And Jesus ties this with loving God. That when the Israelites cross over into the Jordan, they forget where they came from. They've got all the celebration that they should be given the wealth. They've got all the celebration that they, they should inherit the kingdom, but they don't have the critique. They don't have the critique of what they've forgotten in that, yes, God gave them power, and God gave them a kingdom, but God gave them responsibility, and God gave them commandments. And all of those commandments and all of that responsibility is to love our neighbor as ourselves. When we talk about the downfall of Israel— we often think it's a jealous God with a vendetta, when really it is that people that destroyed themselves because they did not remember what worked. They didn't remember what failed. We get the real reason for the falling of Sodom in Ezekiel 16. This was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did abominable things before me. Therefore, I removed them when I saw it. We're not told Rugged Cross yet. We're getting there. That's the teaser that we're almost done. Right. Israel had this golden opportunity to cross over to Jordan and do something different. Right. We've had multiple opportunities in our past. And, you know, maybe in our past we can't do anything about those things that have been historically done to the peoples of what, you, what is now called Oklahoma or various other peoples in our existence. Maybe we can't go back in time and correct those, but what we can do is celebrate the great parts of that history, what brought us to the banks of the Jordan River, but also take the critique of what went wrong in those moments and cross the river and do it better in the future. This is the beauty of history class and why history is such a spiritual experience for at least me, is because every time we crack open a story from our history— we have the opportunity to both celebrate and critique where we've been. We have the opportunity to call into question what God has done in that moment and where God is calling us back to God in that moment. We have the opportunity to be self-reflective, self-critical, and self-celebratory to recognize that we have been delivered to this wonderful place, but often at a cost. And our question for the future is, what version of history, what true story of history do we want to influence our future? And maybe a better question to ask in a religious way 
is where have we honored God in our history so that we can truly honor God in the future? Because if you look through every prophetic text, we as a wealthy group of individuals and country often do not like the prophetic texts because every one of them calls into question that we are the problem when we forget that the God who gave us opportunity for wealth is also the God who gave us opportunity for responsibility, gave us opportunity to uplift the poor and needy, gave us opportunity to use our wealth and status for the good of God's kingdom, to create the world that Deuteronomy paints the picture of that is supposed to be a just and fair world. And we, as students of history, or ought to be students of history, we get to have the spiritual experience of celebrating everything that God has brought to us, but perhaps critiquing how we got here. Because it is us who get to choose personally, as a church, as a community, as a country, as a world. What's the full history we want to tell to our children when we wake up and when they go to sleep and when they go to school and when they're riding their bike? What is the full history we want to tell so that the fullness of God's world might come to fruition. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, as we look toward the old rugged cross, may we look to the God, the man who hung on that cross, one who gave full confidence to the way of God, even to the sacrifice of himself, one who gave full way to the confidence of God's way so much that he forgave those who put him on the cross. One whose part of final actions on the cross was to look at a woman and a man and give them to each other, a, man, a, a mother and a son. God, may we celebrate. May we celebrate the moments that have led us to this great place. May we celebrate the moments that have led us to our prosperity. May we celebrate the, uh, the values and the characteristics that we want to see in your people going forward, but Lord, may we never forget to critique why Jesus was hanging on that cross to begin with. So in the words of another hymn, may there be peace on earth, and may our history lead us for that peace to start with me. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.